Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. So tonight from Romans chapter 6, uh, it was read to you uh, what I believe is the most difficult commandment in all of the New Testament, and I want to give great consideration to it uh, tonight. And the hardest commandment is this, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You may remember Miss Havisham, uh, that unforgettable character from Great Expectations. She was uh, that iconic woman who became, over time, emotionally and psychologically catatonic, uh, paralyzed, stuck in time. She was, at one point, a very beautiful, uh, wealthy, uh, educated uh, young woman, but she experienced a terrible, traumatic episode on the most important day of her life, right, where she was stood up by her would-be groom abandoned at the altar, left there in front of all her friends and family. And, uh, and that moment of painful public rejection um, became a prison from which she never escaped. She never escaped, right? For the rest of her life, she kept on her wedding gown. She left the wedding cake in the parlor, even though it was covered with mold and dust and insects and vermin. And, uh, and her, all of her interactions were governed by this rejection episode that occurred very early on in her life. Uh, and she was made catatonic, catatonic by this uh, horrific act of rejection. And I want to say that she is uh, not an icon of every one of us, of course, but in some way she speaks to some aspect of our own experiences in which we have been paralyzed by some sort of inner conception of rejection or terror of rejection that we have become members of the class of arrested development um, because of it. And I want us to consider Paul's words because he wants us to break out of that prison. He wants us to break into a new understanding of who we are and who all ultimately who God is. Um, And Paul wants us to see ourselves, that is, uh, we ourselves as, yes, the compromised, yes, the wayward, yes, as the vilified, um, but ultimately not as the rejected classes. He wants us to have clear eyes to see ourselves and to see God. And so he says in verse 11, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must consider yourselves. Now, Uh, The Greek word there for consider can mean something like account or reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now that is legal language. That's accounting language for any of you uh, accounting sorts. Uh, This speaks to you. This mathematical language will speak to you. And it goes back to uh, Genesis. It goes back to Paul's argument earlier in Romans in chapter 4. And in chapter 4 of Romans, Paul quotes a very famous passage in Genesis about Abraham, the 
founder of the Jewish people. And this great, great, great grandfather of the Jewish people had an important reckoning with God very early on in his experience. Now, he was not a great man, by the way. Abraham was not a great man in any way, shape, or form. He had lots of problems, lots of family problems, lots of religious questions. He was riddled with doubt. Uh, He was this way and that way, just depending on the day. But at an early point in his life, the text says that he believed a great vow that God had made. God made a vow to Abraham that he would bless him and bless his descendants. And the text says he believed God and God accounted it to him or credited it to him uh, or considered it unto him as righteousness. That is, he understood himself uh, to be in an okay or safe or secure place with God, not based on his life's work or his accomplishments or his labor for justice or anything else, but simply because he trusted that the promise of God was true and unassailable. And so that uh, delivered him from any sense of externalized condemnation or internalized rejection. And Paul traces this theme out in the book of Romans. And in chapter 4 of the book of Romans, so a few chapters, uh, um, or two chapters before our, our passage tonight, he develops this idea essentially saying God gave us that picture in the Old Testament in Genesis 12 so that we would really come to understand who Jesus is in the New Testament Uh, because there was this grand cosmic and historical transaction in the person of Jesus where he became a sort of sacred sponge that could take all of your uh, negative alienating characteristics against God and man and somehow absorb them into his own flesh and blood and heart and soul and become a substitutionary sacrifice for your own problems. And, and he would become a, a person who would take in alienation and terror and hardship and give out righteousness, grace, mercy, and all of that. And so he becomes um, the embodiment of heaven that is uh, rejected by heaven. I mean, that's the mystery of the cross. He is the man of heaven rejected by heaven. Uh, And so at the cross, you are not rejected for all of the things that you bring to the table, but Jesus is. And therefore, Paul can conclude that now, because of what God has done in Christ, you can account yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God accounts you dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So since that's how God sees you and always will, and that will never change, you can begin in this life to do the same thing, to view your life as God has already viewed you, as dead to sin and alive to him in Christ Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, dead to sin. What is sin? Sin is revolution against reality. Sin is revolt against reality. Um, and sin has lost its dominion or its kingdom or its empire over your life. Now, sin affects you and me in a variety of ways. Uh, it, uh, it gives us guilt, and you have been liberated from that because God has justified you as an innocent person through the blood of Christ. Uh, it affects you with its power. Uh, it has great, as you know, great authority in various aspects of our lives, but that is even now beginning to break apart. That's what we call sanctification. It's, bringing, it's, it's being brought to ruin, slow ruin, through the working of God, the ingrafting of God in your life. And sin's goal has been destroyed. Sin's goal, of course, is your final condemnation. Well, that's been eradicated because Jesus has secured for you a risen, glorified, resurrected future. And so you are dead to the old empire of sin, and you're alive to God. Now, what does that mean? 
because right now we don't sense a lot of that because we're still in the shadow lands. But what does it mean that we're alive to God right now? It means something like, even though this is highly conceptual, your truest essence, however we conceptualize that, is right now secure in the everlasting arms of God. You are not going to be lost. You're going to be all right because the truest you is redeemed and is in some sense in another part of the scriptures it says that you are even seated right you're seated with christ so you're you're in the safest possible place you're alive to god Um, and so that means that in the eyes of god or from the perspective of god your treachery is as dead as christ was on the cross and your truest self is alive as christ is on the right hand of god so you are literally and forever in the safest possible place that you could ever be right But this is a difficult imperative because what he's saying, St. Paul is saying, you need to start seeing yourself as God has already seen you. God has this perspective and it's fixed. And the best thing that you could do for yourself is to adopt his perspective. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. But I find that this commandment, this uh, urge from scripture runs contrary to our remnant fallen nature. Because what sin does as it works its way into our hearts and lives is it causes us to take sin either less seriously than God or more seriously than God. Less seriously than God because we very often want to minimize our criminal element and gather around ourselves a little echo chamber of affirming voices that tell us how wonderful we are. Uh, When that doesn't work, and it never really does, uh, we may actually exaggerate sin beyond its capacities and power. We uh, may take it, in fact, more seriously than God, meaning that we begin to believe that in the end, when all is said and done, sin defines us and, in fact, nullifies us in the face of God, that we are so shame-saturated and rejectable that we have become uh, loveless, right? We are not lovable in the eyes of anybody, let alone God. And therefore, we actually take our sin more seriously than God because God has already dealt with our sin and definitively so in Christ. And so we're in essence saying that what Christ has done is not enough because there's nothing that can be enough to wipe away my criminal element. So we're actually taking it more seriously than God. But Paul wants us to see that God, God is the only one with the unassailable right of rejecting you. But he didn't do it. And he didn't do it because he's already dealt with that rejection in himself in his own human person on the cross. Now, we live in a cultural moment of constant rejection. Just go post something on Facebook. Just anything. It doesn't matter. You could post something from the Care Bears, and you will be assaulted uh, for some reason by someone. And if you aren't assaulted for that, you'll be assaulted for your motives for posting something about Care Bears online. Um, Nobody's laughing. What I just said was very funny, and one day, like, you'll wake up at 3 a.m. and realize your rector is just hysterically funny. But anyway, um, but here's the point. There's only one person that has the right to, uh, to bang the gavel and to declare you this or that, and that's God, but God has taken that prerogative and nailed it to the cross. So uh, let me give you a little practical exercise to enflesh this truth, to uh, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And this comes from Martin Luther, it doesn't come from me. He said one of the things that would help him in the morning is that when he would look at himself in in a looking glass of sorts, he would see that you know he began to have a unibrow, and that his uh, face got blotchy as he aged, and that he had more and more wrinkles on his face, 
and the, and uh, and you know he drank a little, right? So that had an effect. I mean, he was a German. I can't say that. Never mind. He was a German, but that doesn't mean anything. What I just said is is irrelevant. And um, and so he 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 was beginning to look like a mess, right? So he looked in the mirror, and then he thought to himself, "This is the man whom God loves, and this is the person who was baptized." And then he took water, splashed it on his face, and said out loud the words. I am baptized, meaning I am baptized into death, and the death of Jesus Christ has taken away all of my infirmities and impediments, and I have been made clean by the love and grace and righteousness of another. And so when you wash your face in the morning, you wash your face as it is, you can remember your baptism and think to yourself, you know, in the end, in the end when all is said and done, I'm not Mrs. Havisham. I'm not, in fact a member of the class of Arrested Development. I'm not catatonic. I, uh, I'm not, you know, that one night stand from 2014. And I'm not just a hoarder. And I'm not just a problem. Uh, 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 I don't just have a gambling problem. And I'm not just a money grubber. And I'm not just a re reactive millennial. I'm not just a, um, a, a person who struggles with racist instincts. I'm not just a pornography addict. I'm not just a rageaholic. Who am I at the end of the day? I am the one whom Jesus loves. Period. That's the definition from heaven. That's what it means to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And all Christian worship, patterns, practices, and disciplines exist to root us in this undying and nearly unbelievable truth. The rest of your life is coping with the gospel. That's what it's all about. And Paul Tillich, who was a dubious theologian and not really trustworthy, uh, once gave Christian faith, that is faith, a, 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 a wonderful definition. He said that faith in Christ is the courage to accept acceptance. The courage to accept acceptance. Well, that kind of courage may take a lifetime to cultivate, but it will certainly be a life worth living. Amen. They took your life, they could not.